Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. Oh, hey there. Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. Hey, will you do me a favor? Go follow me on Instagram, Real Sean McCormick and Optimal Performance Podcast. Go follow me on Instagram. If you're on Instagram, even if it's like once a week or whatever, just go follow me. And I want you to DM me, take a minute, take like just less than a minute, take 30 seconds and DM me the types of topics that you're most interested in. I want to hear the guests you want. I want to hear the topics that you're interested in. Are you done hearing about COVID? Do you not want to hear about it anymore? Let me know. Do you want to, do you want me to focus more on mentality? Do you want me to focus more on nutrition, um, sleep? Cause I have whole bunches of people that email me every single week saying, Hey, I want to be on the podcast or Hey, I've worked. My client X wants to be on the podcast. And, and, and I, and I, I think I'm doing a good job of bringing you a varied content that's useful and helpful for your life, but I really want your input because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of you that don't miss an episode. And you're likely that person listening right now. I would love to hear from you for real. I just want to send me a DM on Instagram, real Sean McCormick. You know, I want to make this as, as easy as possible to give you the best content. So if you've got a really great idea, I'd love to hear it. I want this to be more interactive and it's so hard to do because the podcasts that I listen to, um, they, they try to do this. They try to find ways to connect with listeners like myself. And I make it a point of, of sending DMS and sending emails to the podcast hosts that I listen to and saying, Hey, this was really great. Hey, um, I really enjoyed this episode. Hey, have you thought about this person? So I'm asking the same thing from you. If you would, please give me your input. Because I want to give you the stuff that you want that is useful in your life. Speaking of things that are useful in your life, this episode is going to be a two-parter. We are looking at continuous glucose monitoring. Now, I am not as scientific as, say, Ben Greenfield or Dave Asprey, and you know that by now. But I do pay attention to uh, biohacking tools that work consistently. And what Levels Health is, is a continuous glucose monitoring um, device that you put on your skin that sends a signal to your cell phone to track your glucose in real time. Like every 15 minutes, it sends a ping to your phone that tracks your glucose. Now, why does that matter? Why is that interesting? Well, Dr. Casey Means from Levels, who's the co-founder, she she explains to me how basically uh, metabolic health is a massive and um, likely the most important indicator for your health, right? So if you are if you have met metabolic inflexibility, if you are in, insulin resistant, you're going to have problems with your health. And this is, a lot of people have problems with their health. Eighty eight percent of the country is considered to be metabolically dysfunctional. That's a massive amount of us, right? And the majority of metabolic dysfunctions can be prevented, reversed, or improved. And what this will make available levels, if you go to levelshealth.com, you can read tons more. It just expands. Their blog is insane. Uh, Expands on the conversation that we're having. But if you know what different types of foods are doing to your metabolism, what they're doing to your glucose, glucose when you eat them, Uh, then you will know exactly what sort of foods you should and shouldn't eat. There's a 25,000 person wait list 
to get one of these uh, one of these continuous glucose monitors. Um, and there's a good reason for that is because not only for high performers, but anybody that just wants to be able to feel better and have more energy and have metabolic flexibility so that they can just have the lifestyle that they want. Um, this is going to be a blockbuster product. It already is. This this is like a meta uh, device. This is a this is like cutting edge biohacking. And and when you eat a banana, you can see what your blood glucose does. When you have that glass of wine at night, uh, it will tell you exactly what that's doing to your glucose levels. And when you know what it's what different foods are doing to your glucose levels then you can adjust your diet effectively so that you can just be healthier and happier. Of course, we I, I sort of guide Dr. Casey into some some fairly scientific um, areas during this conversation and but it's also really accessible to you. You know, in this episode we talk about the fact that most doctors get 4 hours of nutrition education in med school. So, it's really up to you to figure out what you need to do to eat for you. Um, we talk about uh, what exactly a, a continuous glucose monitor does. We talk about the fact that sleep, exercise, stress, food and food timing immediately affect your metabolism. And we talk about uh, like what is the sort of optimal level for blood glucose. Uh, you know, normal is somewhere around, you know, conventional wisdom says 100, but really like optimal is 72 to 85. Um, this is just packed with tons of fascinating information. And in part number two, um, we're going to have the other co-founder of Levels come back and after I've, I've been able to use the uh, use Levels for a while to figure out what it's doing to my blood glucose um, so that I can know what's going on in my metabolism so that I can be healthier. And I'm just sort of a normal guy, right? Just slowly biohacking my way into the body that I want, into the brain that I want, into the lifestyle that I want. You're going to get so much out of this episode. I know you're going to love it. This is the type of episode that you're going to want to share with people in your family and people in your life. You know, like this sort of blows the roof off of, uh, well, just clarifies, um, metabolic inflexibility, what that means. And I know there's people in my life that need to hear this. And, and I know that there's people in your life that need to hear this very important information so that we can be our best. Like it's, uh, this is this, I think 10 years from now, everybody's going to have these, um, and for good reason so that we know what our body needs nutritionally. Um, I'm going to save the, uh, the, the ads for the middle and the back of this podcast. And we're going to jump right in. So ladies and gentlemen, Without further ado, Dr. Casey Means. And we're here with Dr. Casey Means, the co-founder and chief medical officer at Levels. Casey, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Sean. I'm so glad to be here. I think I want to start with the first question, which is not going to be what you expect. So I'm going to immediately catch you off guard. I love it. As an as an expert in in metabolic health, and this is the don't you know don't feel uh, isolated or like you're alone in this because this is the first question that I ask almost all of my guests when it comes to nutrition and fitness. Um, but what time is it where you are right now, and what have you put in your body today? Mm, love this question. It is two thirty nine p.m. I am in Portland, Oregon, and so far today I. Um, have had a cup of coffee with uh, unsweetened walnut and pumpkin seed milk that I made myself. Uh, I actually made it this morning. I then did not eat any actual food until about noon, and I had 
what I usually have each day, which is a gigantic salad. Um, and that salad had in it about five cups of chopped rainbow chard that I, uh, microwaved for about 20 seconds just to wilt a little bit, three quarters cup of kidney beans, a half a cup or so of, uh, firm tofu, um, chia seeds, peanut butter, tomato paste, tamari, uh, beet sauerkraut, and let's see, oh, chopped red onions, and then kind of mixed it all up into this sort of salad, you know, melange. But um, that's basically, I have this gigantic, probably like 800 calorie salad for lunch. That's usually my first meal of the day. And um, really trying to just hit all of my functional nutrition boxes with that and get at least, you know, five to eight servings of vegetables, uh, in there in one foul swoop. And it gives me, you know, 30 or 40 grams of fiber from the beans, it gives me about 30 to 40 grams of protein from the tofu beans, chia seeds, peanut butter, it gives me healthy whole food fats from the chia seeds and the peanut butter. Um, it gives me omega three alpha linoleic acid from the chia seeds around 1500 milligrams. And yeah, tons of phytonutrients and antioxidants from the red onions, the chard, the tomato paste, lycopene, all that stuff. So it's just like a big, huge, heavy hitting salad. And, and then I usually don't eat again until until dinner. I, I, I imagine that people are listening to that and going, she put peanut butter. <laughs> she put peanut butter. Who is this woman? She put peanut butter in her salad. But, you know, <laughs> I mean... You know, when, when you're, when you know as much as you do, when you, when you know exactly what you need to eat for your body and where you're at in your life, uh, kitchen sink approach with, with all of the things that you need to do, you know, hitting your servings, um, that's how I would, that sounds really good to me. I would love to, I would love to, to try, to try that, but Holy cow! That is a that is a very eclectic. That is a that is a very eclectic salad. That's awesome. I'm so glad I asked that question. I I make it in about a ten cup Tupperware container so that I can just stir it around aggressively until it's like homogeneous. And I've had a person I used to work with who called it my trough, which is really <laughs> kind. super kind. <laughs> They're like, "What's in your trough today?" Um, but it's actually a salad that I've sort of. The, the the framework for that I've sort of optimized, you know, over the past couple of years as I've really dove deep into functional nutrition. And one thing I've really optimized for is that it doesn't do anything to my glucose levels. So mm. um, this shows my glucose levels for the entire day so far, and it, it did not even bump it five points. So it's probably got like, um, I don't know, 60 to, 150, 60 to 70 grams of carbohydrates in there, probably very much fewer net carbs of the fiber, but it's just a like totally optimized meal with the fat, protein, fiber, carbs to just actually do nothing to my wow. glucose levels, oh um, my which is, which is why I choose if I eat any of those in isolation, it's much more likely that they would kind of go up, but it's, it's, yeah, it's really, really fun. And I, um, yeah, I, uh, I torture my family by sending them photos of the salad and they think I'm a monster because it's, but I think it's delicious. So I crave it now. <laughs> that is so cool. Uh, we are going to get into uh, the app. We're going to get into the system. We're going to get into the tech. We're going to talk all about continuous glucose monitoring. Um, but I would love to hear your story. How do you go from head and neck surgeon 
to um, uh, a doctor specializing in in metabolic health? Like, what what was that moment where you decided, you know, I'm not doing the right thing that I want to do. I'm going to totally switch gears. Mm. It's a great question, and it's it's really a like a 15 year journey that I'll condense into like two minutes. Hopefully, <laughs> I say two minutes, it'll probably be like four minutes. But but um, it really started back in college. Um, so when I was like 17, 18, so I went, I was really lucky to get to go to Stanford right after like the human genome project finished and like 23 and me was coming online and all this consumer genetics stuff. And like Silicon Valley was just like so hot with like personalized medicine and personalized genomics. So I get to Stanford, I'm really interested in biology and that was sort of that whole world was the framework through which I came to the study of human biology and the study of biomedical sciences was that, you know, it's very personalized, it's very unique biochemical individuality, and that we are fundamentally this genetic blueprint, but really the 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 key to health is the differential expression of that blueprint. So what then defines the difference of expression is environmental inputs. And our primary environmental inputs are things like what we eat, what we put into our bodies, what toxins we expose our to, ourselves to, and then different behaviors that translate to biochemical reality through things like hormones and our nervous system. So that's like exercise, sleep, and stress. So these are the things that actually like pull the levers on our genetics. And so, so that was just very much alive and in the water during that time. And I worked at 23andMe when I was in college and I, you know, was a teaching assistant for, uh, you know, pharmacogenomics classes and things like that. And it was just really fun. And, and then uh, flash forward, you know, four or five years and I'm in medical school and I'm, al- I'm also at Stanford for medical school. And it was a completely different ethos because modern clinical practice is sort of by design and by necessity, just for efficiency, not so much about personalization. Mm-hmm. It is much more about pattern recognition and it's much more about algorithms. And so the, the less nice way to say this would be sort of cookbook medicine um, or reactionary medicine. But, but that's kind of the way that medicine has been set up is you, you visit with a patient and you collect a history and you do labs and you do a physical exam and together those form symptoms and signs that you then look at and put together. And if they match a certain, if that collection meets uh, you know, some criteria, then you label it with a diagnosis. And once you have that diagnosis, you can turn around and say, okay, what's my toolbox of pills or, you know, invasive interventions like surgery or procedures to then treat this, you know, this, this condition, Mm -hmm. this label. And so that to me was so different than what I had sort of been brought up in, in the biomedical sciences of thinking of people as these really unique and dynamic systems, um, that, uh, you know, are in constant conversation with the environment. So, so that was sort of what was alive in medical school. It's also interesting to me because, you know, in medical school, we get, you know, the average medical student, I think it's four hours of nutrition um, in medical school. And one big passion of mine in college was nutrigenomics. And so nutrigenomics is the study of how um, uh, food compounds, so things like, you know, isothiocyanate compounds from cruciferous vegetables, you know, how these like molecular pieces of information inside food go into the cells, go into the nucleus and actually change gene expression. And so that was like, I was like, oh, this is huge. This is of course key for health, but we don't, we do not learn clinical nutrition in medical school. And so that was not a part of the conversation coupled with the fact that we know that, you know, most Americans, you know, by late life have a chronic condition. Most chronic conditions are related to diet and lifestyle. And so it felt disheartening that like we weren't really being equipped with the information to, to incorporate that type of stuff in our clinical practice in a rigorous way. So 
moving forward, I finished medical school, went to surgery. And I decided to do head and neck surgery. Um, it was a fascinating field. It's a field that has, um, to me, to my eyes, it was compelling because I was like, oh, surgery is very cool because I can go in and visit with a patient and I can go in and fix something. You know, they have a lump in their neck, I'll take it out. Their sinus is filled with pus. I'll punch a hole in it with my tool and suck out the pus. Their ear, their middle ear is filled with pus. I'll make a little hole in it, put an ear tube in, suck the pus out. We're done. Like I fixed people. I've helped people. And that felt really good. And as a doctor, when things are so complex and so busy, to be able to actually feel like you're ending your day fixing something is a great feeling. And I think it draws a lot of people to surgery. And surgery is a beautiful art. So flash forward, I'm five years into my surgery career, head and neck. And I'm realizing, you know, I'm like, looking at all my cases and what I'm doing every day. And I'm like, every single thing I'm doing is treating an inflammatory disorder. So like mm. sinusitis, inflammation of the sinuses, uh, you know, ear infections is inflammation of the eustachian tube that drains the nose and the ear. That's that when that tissue is inflamed, it gets blocked, you get pus buildup. Hashimoto's thyroiditis, a disease that's rising in incidence, um, is inflammation of the thyroid. Vocal cord granulomas is inflammation, inflammatory masses of the vocal cords. These are all rooted in chronic inflammation. And I'm stepping back and I'm like, this feels illogical hmm. that I'm treating an inflammatory disorder with a surgical treatment because surgery does nothing to actually impact inflammation. It, it, it sort of like changes the plumbing so that things can drain, but it doesn't fundamentally affect those inflammatory pathways. And this was like a big eye-opening experience for me because I'm prescribed, I am like slinging, um, steroid prescriptions left and right. I'm like prednisone for you, you know, methyl, do uh, medrol dose pack for you. Here's antibiotics, you know, let's do surgery if those don't work. And fundamentally it was just like, wait, I know that chronic inflammation is at least in some part triggered by diet and lifestyle and exposures and the way we live and other comorbid conditions, you know, obesity is an inflammatory condition, you know? And, and so why are we not talking about this? Why is this? Why is the Venn diagram here in our practice totally separate? Mm. There's no overlap. So that, anyways, that was a journey. <laughs> um, a couple years of figuring out that, like, I didn't fundamentally want to be treating these conditions with surgery when I felt like really the lowest hanging fruit was helping people get fundamentally healthy and and at least impact their their chronic inflammation in some capacity through these more holistic aims and ultimately transitioned into functional medicine and um, opened, split from surgery, pretty much completely decided that there's enough surgeons out there, but there's not enough, I think, physicians really thinking about root cause fundamental health and how to reverse our chronic disease epidemics um, at scale. And so I really wanted to devote my life to that. And um, that then, you know, that study of inflammation, that study, that practicing functional medicine longevity, really at the heart of that is metabolic function. Yeah. Because metabolic dysfunction is is a huge driver of chronic inflammation when your blood sugar and your metabolism and the way you're processing energy in the body is off the rails your body responds by saying oh god this is not good this is a threat like we need to we need to rev up our inflammation tnf alpha il6 IL, you know like and so because you know, metabolic dysfunction is so rooted in diet. It's so easy to turn around if you know what to do. I was like, this is where I want to focus my energy. I want to be, and I became a, basically a, a metabolic evangelist. Yeah. And that, that's the root. Yeah. Wow. So that's what happened. That's so cool. I mean, um, the couple of things that stand out for me is, you know, you, you wanted to, you didn't want to be sticking up your thumb in the hole in the dike to prevent catastrophe. You wanted to be able to swim upstream and figure out what was going on. Uh, rather than than preventative or reactionary, I think that that's super super admirable. And and obviously, you know your your credentials and talent for what you do 
to the fact that you just that you wanted that you wanted to go to the root cause that you want to look at the systemic issues that people are having to like make sure that they were having a better opportunity to live a higher quality life without having to get a hole punched in their nose or you know have drainage from inflammation super cool and then the other thing that stood out for me too is you know and and i've heard this before and I, i i think that i've said out loud you know i think that doctors get something like one day of nutrition uh, in, in their, in their, uh, in their education. And you just said four hours. And to me, it just, it, it boggles my brain. And of course you and I are in a universe, uh, that's, you know, biometrics and biohacking and performance optimization and, and, uh, you know, uh, metabolic issue. And so for, for you and I, it's like, it's so sad and it's scary because, um, rarely, I mean, everyone listening here today is like, I've never been asked by my doctor what what my diet is. Mm. I've never been asked by my doctor like how my sleep is. It's like what are the symptoms? What can we prescribe? And and I and 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 it's and it's sad to me and that's it's what it what it's what drives me on to have guests like you to like let's blow the lid off this thing because mm. what you have done, what you have created, what you have devoted time and money and attention to uh, is to create something that people can use that's direct to consumer that's usable and easy and trackable that will like seriously empower them to live a better quality of life so hats off to you Mm, thank you i mean yeah i just and this is this is why i am part of the reason i'm just so inspired by this this health podcast sort of movement that i think we're in right now because you know this this um, message is not necessarily coming down from on high in academic medicine, and it's you know I think it's but but the voices there's a strong community and that community is connecting and I think I think it's a really exciting time um, and I think that the real message amongst this whole you know health seeking community is empowering people to make good decisions and that is just really exciting to me like to move from a 10 years of clinical medicine where I was kind of just telling people what to do, you know, and then letting them go and not really seeing anything happen to now really seeing this movement where people are seeking out their own information. They're listening to podcasts. They're seeking out, um, you know, providers thinking about things a different way, uh, more root cause way. It's, it's very exciting. And I, I like, um, I like the ethos of, of people, you know, really taking ownership of health and, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's we're entering a really great era. It's really meaningful, and and you you so let I I don't want to beat around it. Let's go right to it. Uh, what we're talking about is is a device that's been around for a very long time, and uh, and and yet not many people really know what it is or how it can affect their life. But I would love for you to explain. Um, what a continuous first of all what's glucose <laughs> what mm-hmm. what is a continuous glucose monitor yeah absolutely so i think the, the best place to start here is to um probably just yeah talk about glucose and metabolism so basically kind of even backing up from glucose like fundamentally metabolism is the thing we're talking about here so um metabolism and and metabolic health is essentially the set of cellular mechanisms that produce energy from our food and environment so 
um, you know, we eat things and we put them through our digestion and they go into our bloodstream and then they interact with our body and we produce cellular energy from those energetic substrates. So cellular energy is like ATP that our cells can then use to function every cell in the body. But to actually make that, you need these substrates. And one of those key substrates is glucose. And glucose comes um, largely from carbohydrates that we break down um, and it enters into our bloodstream and gets taken up into our cells, our mitochondria, these little powerhouses of our cells convert it to ATP. And when that process is running really smoothly and we're able to take that glucose and uh, convert it into ATP without generating, you know, uh, metabolically damaging byproducts, like lots of, um, free radicals and things like that, um, and not have excess glucose in the bloodstream, which can cause inflammation and oxidative stress and glycation processes. When that's happening really smoothly, that's metabolic health. And then there's other things that we can actually convert into energy in the body, you know, like fat and, uh, is another big one. And, um, there's a really, there's a, there's a balance between, uh, you know, basically using fat and glucose for energy. And, um, what's really interesting is that when glucose comes into the body to get it into our cells, we need insulin to be secreted. So insulin is like this little lock and key, obviously, as, as you know, that, that binds to the cell membrane, the insulin receptor, and lets the glucose be taken up so that it can be processed by the mitochondria. But when that insulin is around, it's telling the cells that they should not burn fat because there's another fuel source, there's glucose. And so that's a really interesting balance because we want the body to be able to process glucose effectively, but we also want the body to have uh, times where there's not a lot of glucose around and there's not a lot of insulin around. So the, the body can still have the opportunity to, to convert fat to energy as well. And that ability to be able to be very flexible and kind of bounce back and forth between processing glucose when there's good glucose around and process fat when there's not a lot of glucose around, that's called metabolic flexibility. And that is widely associated with um, good health and you know reduced risk of chronic disease. Um, but because of the way we're sort of eating and living these days and, and our exposure to all these sort of food substances that have just such a high concentration of refined glucose and such a huge load of it, like amounts that our bodies have never throughout human history seen, we don't often get into a state where we get into a low glucose, low insulin state. So we've kind of like a lot of us have lost the ability to really ever burn fat because mm. we always have insulin on board. Mm. And so, so that's kind of hard to talk about glucose without talking about, you know, fat as well a little bit and insulin. And so, but when this balance is optimized and we have like the right level of glucose in the body, we're processing it, we're storing it in, in the right ways, not too much, not too little. Um, this is sort of uh, when these processes are all running smoothly, we call, I call this metabolic fitness. And mm -hmm. that's kind of um, because it's, it's kind of constantly flexing up and down on these different pathways. Um, I like to think of it in that fitness mindset because it is something that our metabolism gets better when we manage it properly. You have to um, be treating it right and um, having repetitions of good glucose control every single day to be able to achieve good metabolism. And that's something that is is very much um, something you can achieve. And, um, you know, unfortunately, because we're exposed to so much carbohydrate load and uh, glucose in our diets, it's, it's hard to ever really get there. And we're, you know, I, I, one fun stat, um, recent UNC study from a couple of years ago, 88% of the country is considered to be uh, metabolically dysfunctional in some way. Um, only 12% of the country is metabolically healthy. Wow. So, and they basically were looking at five biomarkers of metabolic health. So um, waist circumference, uh, HDL, LDL levels, fasting glucose, um, I think triglycerides, um, and 
And basically, if you had one of those that was off, you were part of that 88%. So people with perfect, you know, all five, only 12% of the country. So we're metabolically dysfunctional in a, in a major way. And, 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 and that can be pointed back to, you know, the old school food pyramids that put carbs, you know, at the very bottom of that, you know, you should be consuming. I mean, I grew up consuming just massive amounts of white bread and flour um, because that's what my folks thought nutrition was. And, and we follow those nutritional guidelines. And now, you know, fast forward to uh, 2020, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of shenanigans and how food is branded and how it's positioned. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, oh, if it's organic, then it's probably okay for my metabolism because it's organic. Like my, and, um, you know, my, my, my folks don't listen to the podcast so I can, <laughs> I can speak, I can speak freely, but, but they, they believe that if it's organic, it means that it's okay for them. It's not going to, um, um, it's not going to, um, disrupt their metabolism and, and this, this, this like disconnect between, um, the way foods are labeled. There's just so much confusion around what is this going to do to my metabolism when I eat this? You know, if it's just because it's branded in a certain way, or just because like, I heard that this is good for you, doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for you. And there's, and and we have to have data, right. To support that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's so interesting. So, yeah, obviously the food pyramid, like, set us back quite a bit, I think, um, you know, implying that we needed to eat six to 11 servings of grains and refined grains were okay. And, um, yeah, we, I mean, our bodies just were bombarded for decades with um, refined carbohydrates, and now we're seeing the consequences of that. And the consequences are showing up. Um, And just to kind of recapitulate that process, like when that's happening day in and day out, you're constantly getting these insulin surges. Your pancreas is saying, okay, all this glucose got to get into the cell. So I'm going to release some insulin so you can take it up. But when that happens day in and day out, the cells are like, kind of like, whoa, uh, that's too much. We cannot store all of this in our cells. We can't process all of this. Stop putting it in. So you get what's called insulin resistance. And that's essentially the cells becoming numb to the signal of insulin. And over time, what you can imagine happens is insulin levels, you have to produce more insulin to drive that glucose into the cell. So now you're getting to the state where high insulin levels um, circulating and the cells aren't taking up the glucose. So then glucose levels start to rise. So, um, you know, so that's kind of the process that's happening. And we're, we're really seeing the downstream effects of that now just epidemiologically. So, you know, there are so many overt signs of this where it's like very clear that these are metabolic disorders. So that would be like obesity, you know, 74% of the U S is now overweight or obese. This is fundamentally a metabolic issue because it's essentially what is being overweight. It means that you're storing things as fat and not using it. And so that's an energetic mismatch. Mm. Um, and a lot of that fat we now know is really actually sugar that's been converted to triglycerides and fat and stored in our fat cells not a overconsumption of fat issue, overconsumption largely of sugar issue. And we also know that when that sugar is in the body, the insulin goes up, that blocks fat oxidation on a molecular level. So you get into this vicious cycle where you you just can't burn through it unless that insulin gets lower. So you've got that, you've got the overwhelming rates of diabetes. We've got 128 million Americans with prediabetes or diabetes, and that number is, is growing. It's mm. it's growing in children, um, and of that, about 90 million of those are prediabetics, and about 38 million are diabetics. And of that 90 million who are prediabetic, 
90% don't know it. So you've got a lot, he's huge, huge. So it's breaking down the numbers there. I guess we're looking at maybe 80 million people walking around with prediabetes who have no idea, um, which is just heartbreaking. And then you've got other really overt things. You've got non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is in the liver is storing too much sugar as fat. And you're starting to see this rise in kids rampantly. Um, a lot of functional pediatricians are starting to talk about that. This is an epidemic. Like we need to be thinking about, you've got, um, metabolic associated conditions that we know are related to blood sugar, like stroke and heart disease, leading cause of the death in the U S you know, the mortality of these and the incident of these go up, you know, virtually exponentially as blood sugar goes up. And then, so those are kind of like all the overt things, but then You've also just got all this subtle stuff that people don't necessarily realize are actually fundamentally metabolic conditions. And so, you know, most of the pain points that the average person deals with is probably has its its toe in the metabolic spectrum. So things like infertility, you know, the leading Mm -hmm. cause of infertility in the U.S. is polycystic ovarian syndrome. This is a metabolic condition. This is you know, some people call it insulin resistance of the ovaries. And so, um, as insulin rises, it actually tells the ovaries to produce more testosterone Mm -hmm. and that causes menstrual irregularities and and infertility. Something like erectile dysfunction is on the metabolic disease spectrum. Small vessel disease in the penis leads to erectile dysfunction. Small vessel disease is caused by sugar and endothelial dysfunction clogging up the system. So, you know, those things, sexual health is even related. And then you've got things like fatigue, you know, decreased exercise endurance. You've got um, anxiety, depression, um, chronic pain, chronic fatigue, these things all we know from the research are worsened by people who have, you know, basically blood sugar dysregulation. So it's, it's kind of got its finger on everything. And I think it makes a lot of sense because if you think about metabolism and glucose control as a core pathway of producing cellular energy, if that core pathway is screwed up, which it is in so many people, then every cell in the body will suffer. And so, you know, if it shows up in the brain, this might look like Alzheimer's disease, which Mm -hmm. is being called type three diabetes. If it shows up in the kidney, it's chronic kidney disease. If it shows up in the penis, it's erectile dysfunction. If it shows up in the ovaries, it's PCOS. If it shows up in the brain, it could also look like fatigue, anxiety, or depression. It could look like brain fog. And so, um, but it makes sense because this is a core fundamental pathway that every cell needs. So these symptoms are essentially it showing up in different cell types, but that's also, it creates a beautiful opportunity where if we can attack a core pathway and not think of all these diseases, isolated silos that we have to treat like separately in different doctor's offices. If we think of it really more on this metabolic spectrum, it makes it so much more efficient to sort of treat these things. And when you reverse metabolic dysfunction, a lot of these symptoms melt away. So yeah, you know, so it's kind of, I like to think about things as systems and, and this is, um, this is the premise of the whole field of systems biology and network biology, which is what are the links between diseases that make a web and, you know, proteomics and high throughput sequencing has allowed us to understand the landscape of how diseases are connected versus the conventional model, which is silo, 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 treat separately. So inefficient, but yeah. What's the biggest thing that we can possibly solve? What's the biggest thing that we can change for people that will have the greatest good, the biggest effect on all of the different things, right? I mean, that's that's the whole point of this. Exactly. Right. So so then um, I want to get eventually to, okay, so we 
biometrics are, are, are useful, right? Understanding, you know, wearing an aura ring to, to, you know, track, mm-hmm. um, heart rate variability, variability or, or to, to track sleep and REM cycles, like all oh, that stuff's really well and good. And I really want to get to how does this get to a behavior change? That's the mm-hmm. most important thing for me. Cause, um, as a, as a performance coach and a life coach, it's like, cool. So, you know, you're fucked up, but now what? So now what is the next thing you'll do now that you know that there's these, there's these issues, what will you do to change? And so I, I want to go there, but obviously, but before mm. we go there, I want to talk about like, you know, uh, con- continuous glucose monitors. And I think everybody, when we say that they can kind of picture like that thing, like a little patch, it looks like a little patch on there, usually on your, on your arm. Mm-hmm. And, and that has, you know, they've been around for, for a long, long time, but, but only really available for uh, either pre-diabetics or, or, or is it just diabetics? Just diabetics. Yeah. So these, these are these little quarter size devices that you stick on your arm and they stick on with adhesive and they have this tiny, like hair like sensor that goes under the skin, totally painless. That's, um, sampling glucose 24 hours a day, uh, usually at 15 minute intervals and then delivering that information to your phone. And these, this is amazing technology that's changed the game for people with, uh, with type one and type two diabetes. And it's primarily used as an FDA approved device for treatment and management. So it helps people, um, see what's going on with their glucose and then be able to like dose their insulin accordingly, dose their medications accordingly. So as opposed to the, uh, normal paradigm, which is pricking your finger four or five times a day. And so you have these, these individual data points, um, you can manage your, your medications that way. This is like a you know, significantly more, uh, granular data. So it's been very great, um, for that, that population. But when you're stepping back and thinking in the way that we're talking about, which is that, you know, health is a spectrum and, you know, it's not like one day you wake up and you have type two diabetes. Like this is a process. This is a March that's been happening probably for 10, 20, 30, 40 years these days, probably from like six months of age with the foods that we're giving kids of just the constant, um, insulin stimulation, insulin resistance until yes, one day, one year you walk into the doctor's office and you get your, you know, yearly finger prick and they say, Oh, you're diabetic, you know? Mm. And so it kind of feels like in our system, it feels like it's an on off switch, but in the body, it's actually a long, long March. And then the the second piece of it is that we, we think of this as a one way journey, right? Like you're, you're diabetic and then you get put on metformin and then, you know, things might get worse and you get add, you know, some other diabetes medication and then ultimately you might be on insulin and that's it. That's, that's life. But the reality is that we're no, we know now that actually even overt diabetes is reversible and, um, Verta health and Sarah Hallberg and, um, has really shown in some really cool published data that you can essentially reverse diabetes, take people down to a um, normal hemoglobin A1C, uh, with as little as 10 weeks of a, of a dietary intervention, um, and coaching, um, and that these are, you know, sustained effects. And so, so it's, it is reversible even when it's in its most overt, um, sort of, uh, fulminant manifestation, but along that earlier spectrum, like prediabetes and just, you know, normal range where you may be starting to show some, elements of poor, you know, glucose control there, you know, there, it, there, the beauty of this is that like, it's very much, um, actionable to, to move things in the other direction, to improve your metabolic fitness, to move backwards on that spectrum. So there's, you know, the body is so adaptable and resilient when the conditions are right, you know? And so that's really what this is all about is helping people figure out what are the right conditions for me and for Mm. my body. Yeah. And like you alluded to earlier, it's different 
for everyone. Um, we, we had for a long time, this big, you know, there was this, the glycemic index scale was, you know, very much talked about and, and it's still talked about hugely and that you should just eat a low glycemic diet or, or, you know, now it's kind of eat a keto diet and just eat really low carb. But actually what we've kind of been learning is that two people can respond to the exact same carb load completely differently. Right. And the research that showed this was like five years ago, it was published in huge medical journal cell out of the people, the group from the Weissman Institute and their paper was called, um, personal nutrition, personalized nutrition by prediction of glycemic responses. And they basically slapped CGMs on a bunch of healthy people and gave them standardized meals and watch what happened. And they found that you would give two people, me and you a banana and you might have no glucose response to it. And I might go up 60 points. So hmm. I probably shouldn't be eating bananas in at least in this particular con context, and they're probably okay for you. And then they looked at predictive factors of what would determine that. And it was really interesting things. Microbiome was a statistically significant factor in that. Um, recent sleep, exercise, anthropomorphic features, so like how much visceral adiposity does someone have, which is kind of a marker of insulin resistance, like how much of that they had. Like there were factors that could kind of determine whether you and I would react differently. So the reality is, is that, you know, there's what you were saying earlier, something might be healthy, but not healthy for you. And right. and that's really like nutrition 2.0 and well, where the, yeah. Two very quick things before we continue in on this conversation. Number one, we need tools to manage our emotions. We're all stressed out. We're all tired. We're all scared. We're all freaked out. And we need a tool, the tool, the most effective tool that I have ever experienced in all of my coaching and in and, 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 and being a coach and being coached is the stop method. Go to stopmethod.com and watch the demonstration of how the stop method works to help you get rid of negative emotions forever. It is massively, incredibly effective. And if you want to take it further, you want to book me for a coaching call so we can talk through some of this stuff. You know, I have a ton of wisdom I want to share. And you guys that listen every single week, you listener, you, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, you are the center of my bullseye. I want to give you as much value as I can. Book me for a free coaching session at the at stopmethod.com or you can go to seanmccormick.com. But go check out the stop method and learn how to get rid of your negative emotions forever. This is not voodoo. This works. It's neuro-linguistic programming and it's phenomenal. Don't wait on it. Go check it out. Just while you're listening to this, just go to stopmethod.com and follow through. And if you want to take it further, book me for a coaching session. Okay, back to the episode. And it's not, and it's, and it goes even further than than that, right? It's not just what might be nutritious for me might not be nutritious for you, or it might affect our 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 uh, our glucose differently, but also like what time of the day, right? And and like whether or not you slept very well last night, you know, uh, you a year ago, you know, a, a banana doesn't do anything, but you today because of stress or because of sleep or because exercise, you know, has, has, has fallen off or whatever, it may affect you drastically differently this year than it did last year. And, and so that, when you think about that, like when you're, when you're really talking about like in this moment, during this time and where you're at with all of these different biomarkers, with all these different features that you have stress levels or whatever, like this is not a good idea. You, a banana is not a smart idea for you, Sean, don't do it, man. And if, and, and if you really got to have the banana, if you really want it, you should eat it in the morning instead of the evening. Right. That's where this goes. Right. Exactly. And this is the beauty is like, um, 
you know, it is actually very liberating to think about metabolism holistically like this way, because really it's like, there are so many things that affect how food affects you. So many variables involved in that. So glucose is carbohydrates, as we know, are not a one relation, one to one relation between carbs and glucose elevation in the blood. And the other things are what I like to call kind of your metabolic toolbox. And so you've got so many factors that impact glucose. You've got like you said, time of day that things are eaten. So things generally eaten earlier in the day are going to have less of a glucose surge in your blood than the exact same meal eaten at nighttime. And some of that likely has to do with melatonin. Melatonin is a part of our, you know, a hormone that's released from the pineal gland when the sun goes down part of our circadian rhythms that helps get us to be sleepy, but it also makes you kind of insulin resistant at night. And mm. so it, it's, it's like, that is something great to know. If you're going to eat your high carb stuff, you know, eat it earlier in the day. You know, we know that exercise can acutely improve insulin sensitivity. Almost any exercise you do resistance training, um, low grade cardio, uh, aerobic activity, even walking for two minutes can improve insulin sensitivity. Mm. Um, high intensity interval training can, and yoga can. So it's mm. basically like any movement is going to be good for your, for your glucose control. Stress management we know is helpful for glucose control. You probably shouldn't be eating a piece of cake when you're super stressed because you're just going to worsen yeah. the response because <laughs> you're also going to have all these catecholamine stress hormones on board while you're loading your body with glucose. So the catecholamines are telling your liver to dump glucose. The cake is telling you to, that you've got glucose and it's just going to compound things. And then sleep as you know, sleep is such a big driver in metabolic health and even getting, they've done some studies where they like basically took healthy people, uh, get, put, made them have only four hours of sleep for like five or six nights in a row and then looked at all their metabolic health markers. And like, they essentially looked pre-diabetic after mm. that, but like they acutely worsened their metabolic health. So you've got all that stuff, sleep, exercise, stress, food, food timing. And then you've also got things like more long-term factors like microbiome. Like if you can get your mi microbiome diversity on track over time, you might just see generally better glucose control. Um, there's some really cool companies doing like evidence-based research in the probiotic space, Pendulum Therapeutics, um, Colleen Kutliff is the CEO of that company. And they have actually um, clinical research showing that um, uh, they can reduce hemoglobin A1C in diabetics with changing the gut microbiome. But, you know, for the, for the sort of typical person who's healthy and, and doesn't have diabetes, I would just recommend improving the microbiome through sort of your tried and true methods, like increasing fiber in the diet, increasing probiotics, uh, foods in the diet and avoiding antibiotics when you don't need them. Right. Um, you've got, you've just got so many levers to pull. So it's not like I can't have a banana, but it's like, I have to think about the context with which I am consuming this banana yeah. and <laughs> using, yeah. And that, and that's the metabolic toolbox. That's what I like to call building metabolic awareness or metabolic intuition. And I've been wearing a continuous glucose monitor now for almost a year. And, you know, I'm obviously a huge fan of it. I started a company around this, um, as a, as a dietary and lifestyle biofeedback tool for non-diabetic individuals and, and building software to help make all of this super simple for people. But I, I've been wearing it for a year now. And I would say like my, this metabolic intuition now is just so dialed in. Like, mm. um, I don't have to think about it as much anymore because, it's just, I've tried every experiment. I've tried every permutation, every combination. And the app has told me, you know, this is what works for you. Said, and it changed it. The app specifically said, you know, girl, you got to put some peanut butter in that salad with those red yep. onions. And that's what your body wants. <laughs> I love that. Exactly. So let's talk about how, let's talk about how it works. I mean, what, what you, what you are, what you got at was saying like, 
um, you have to think about when is the right time to eat that banana. Bananas, bananas are good for you unless the X, Y, Z, uh, but you can, you can learn the, you can learn the types of foods and the types and the times of days to eat the types of foods. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about how, how the app works and, uh, and, and how it can actually help people. You know, I'm just going to share, you know, you can go on the website, you can read the blogs are phenomenal. So, so, I mean, they're, they're really great because it really does explain a lot of, a lot of, um, really key ideas and also, you know, uh, peripheral ideas around sort of metabolic health. So I found that to be really good. And then the stories, like the testimonials of people, you know, I, I had pasta and then I went for a walk. And as soon as I went for a walk, like my numbers went down. And so it's, it, I, I just, I just love, it's so sleek. The design is beautiful, but please let's walk us through, uh, how, how it works from, from, from start to finish. Yeah, absolutely. So essentially we are just a a full service operation, um, for getting these devices in the hands of health seeking individuals who may not have a metabolic diagnosis and then pairing it with software that fundamentally is a behavior change software. So, um, what, what a customer would experience if they, if they come to levels is you'd, um, purchase the product, which the journey, which is a 28 day metabolic awareness journey. You would be go, you'd go through a telemedicine consultation consultation with our partner physician network that we've established that will evaluate you to basically see if you're a good candidate for a CGM. So this is an off label prescription. And, um, and so, you know, this, this is for people who, who do not have necessarily type one and type two diabetes and might go to their primary care doctor and ask for one. They want it to have better visibility into their metabolism and their doctor just may not understand the value of this at this mm. point. So, so we kind of get through that by, um, partnering you directly with the telemedicine network that we've established. And then if the physician thinks it's a safe, um, you know, intervention for you, the, they'll write a prescription. And then we fulfill that prescription through our partner pharmacy and two sensors, which each lasts for 14 days, get shipped to your home. Um, and they come and, and so you, you put one on, you wear it for 14 days and then you switch it out for the second one and you get this really cool waterproof patch, uh, that we call levels performance cover that makes it waterproof. And so it doesn't fall off. Um, and then you, you have access to the app. And so the app is, every, we are just completely laser focused on how to make this app as absolutely actionable as possible. So our goal is to, um, you know, reverse metabolic dysfunction at scale. Like this, this is a, this should not exist. Um, and for, for the most part, you know, there's, there's certainly, um, it's a different story for people with type one diabetes. Absolutely. But, um, but the majority of, of, of metabolic dysfunction can be, you know, prevented or reversed or improved. So, um, fundamentally we, we want to empower people to make that happen. So this, uh, our software, um, is showing you your glucose 24 hours a day. We use that data to make it really simple for people. We score your meals with a proprietary algorithm basically looks at different metrics associated with your glucose response and kind of converts that into very simple language. Like, was this a good option for you? Was this not a good option for you? People can also log their exercise obviously log their food intake and we're, um, we can get other, we have other data inputs from Apple health kit, Google fit, which pull in other biomarkers. Mm. So can start to build a relationship between what's happening between, um, these different levers involved in metabolic health, like stress, sleep, activity, 
food and what's happening and ultimately serve up on a silver platter. Like this is what's happening to you when this happens and start to build that metabolic awareness. And, you know, people like the, I'd say like the first week, the first couple of weeks is just so interesting for people because they have some of these like really wow moments where mm. they can start to put together subjective experiences that they've been having in their lives, maybe for their whole life and like actually identify a real cause for that. So a lot of people say like, oh, you know, I've been having oatmeal every day for <laughs> breakfast for the past five years. Yeah. They notice that like then, you know, they get a late morning, like real big energy slump and they're like, well, that's just, you know whatever, my coffee hasn't kicked in or whatever. And now you can be like, oh, I spiked to 170 and then crashed down and had a huge dip after the insulin, you know, surge came out and soaked up all that glucose. And, and that's what the fatigue was. It was a glucose spike. Mm. And, um, and then they can, you know, think about changing that food, adding fat, you know, having a smaller portion, adding more fiber to it with, you know, chia seeds or something or inulin and just experiment with it and figure out or, or eliminate it completely. And, you know, it's just very, very quick. And so what we're fundamentally doing is closing the loop on nutrition. And you mentioned things like aura and Fitbit, and there's a lot of devices now that are closing the loop on like heart rate activity, stress, there's heart rate variability, but there is nothing to close the loop on diet and what it's actually doing to your body. There's nothing. This is notoriously an open loop system where, you know, you eat 20 things in, in a full 24 hour period. And then you may have some symptoms a couple days from now, yeah. bloating or your weight goes up a little bit, or you didn't sleep well, but how in the hell would you possibly know what from the day before caused that? You just don't, it's open loop. And that's even if you're like monitoring your symptoms for some people who may not be even making these connections between food, the only loop end of that is that you go into the doctor once a year and get a finger prick yeah. and they say, Oh, you're still normal. And that's like massively open loop. So we're trying to narrow the time between action and reaction to essentially minutes so that you can isolate the variables that are causing both metabolic problems, but also subjective problems in your life. And what's really cool about this from behavior change standpoint is that it kind of visualizing this and making these connections takes the emotion so much out of the behavior change mm. piece of thing. And it's almost like food poisoning. Like you eat some bad clams and have terrible diarrhea. And it's not like you feel sad about giving up clams. Like you're just not <laughs> eating yeah. clams anymore. Like you're done. And your body just knows. And when you see those spikes and the getting a, a score of two on the app and feel that that was directly related to this big pain point in your life, post-meal energy slumps, like you're kind of just like done. You're like, I don't want this. Like yeah. it's not, this is the problem. And so we've gotten that feedback time and again. So, um, I think this, this concept that we're really like seeing happen in our customers, I think can be summed up by, um, people are developing somatic awareness, body awareness, and this other term mm. that I love that's called interoception, which is essentially this newfound sense of what is happening inside of their bodies because yeah. they're pairing it data. So even though it's like a digital tech, you know, this like sexy app solution, really, I think fundamentally, it's helping you become more in touch with actually what's happening in their body and these variables that are causing um, certain experiences. And that we know that people have better somatic awareness, interoception, do better overall mental health. They do better with long-term health. When you can sense the internal workings of your body, um, things are, you, you're usually 
um, it's it's easier to kind of uh, be consistent with your help. It's, so it's every, it's everything. It's everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is everything. And 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 that that term interoception is such a uh, is such an important concept for people to understand because if if you get to a point where you can use you can develop your sense of inter- interoception to say like okay I I feel sluggish uh, okay I feel sluggish okay I'm I'm recognizing that I feel sluggish or you know using like another example like um, choosing the emotions that you that you have in a given day you know I'm big on neurolinguistic programming and meditation and and um, self talk and affirmation and um, EFT and tapping and so forth so like I'm huge into this stuff and. For people who intuitively know throughout the day, like I'm starting to get pissed off. Okay, what can mm. I do? What can I do to like, like slow this train down so that I don't become an asshole to my family? Like, what can I do? I'm, I'm beginning to get pissed off. What do I need to do? Do I need to go for a walk? Do I need to do some breath work? Do I need to pray or 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 just sit? The, the same thing applies in so many different areas and so many different systems in our body. And for people like you and I, and for people in like the performance and biohacking world, we've become canaries to ourselves. You know, can, the, the canary in the coal mine where you know, like, I know that I, I, just, I just can't eat donuts. I love donuts. Mm-hmm. My family loves donuts. Uh, I just can't do it. I, like it, it makes it makes me crazy. It make it makes my my neck stiff. Um, I get aggressive. You know, I I I know intuitively now. Like I can't. I just I just shouldn't do it. I don't feel like I want it. The same thing that you said. Like the clams, mm-hmm. the clams thing. Like the food poisoning thing. Once you get to a point where you can sort of intuitively feel from the inside out, is this going to be a good decision for me? I don't feel good right now. What can I do to regulate that? What what can I do to, to actually have uh, biological sovereignty, emotional sovereignty, autonomy, agency over my life? That is everything because then you don't have to rely on um, uh, super, I don't know, it, 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 just, it just simplifies your entire, entire process. And it's this, it, it really is this like massive switch of transformation from the inside out that just makes your life better. And so I, I just, I love it. I love it. Yes. I mean, mind blown emoji. I'm with you. Like that is just like, I, you, you sum it up so beautifully. And, um, I think, I think it gets to a bigger point that I see in my practice, you see in your practice, I think, which is that when you start building, this somatic awareness and this sense of autonomy and agency with things like food, stress management, sleep, and start building consistent habits around those things, um, that then pervades into all aspects of life. Like I think it changes people's relationship with, with everything. And one, a couple, you know, a couple, um, things I, I think are important with the food aspect is that, I mean, right now, Um, we have, we're up against two big fights, I think with, with being healthy from a nutrition standpoint, one is that we're eating a lot of processed foods that, you know, food is molecular information. So food is molecular information that comes in your body and tells your cells exactly what to do. That's, that's what it is. It's it's wonderful. It's enjoyable. It's pleasurable, but 
fundamentally it is a, both a building block and it's a, and it's molecular information. And so when you process that and you start putting in molecular information to the body, the body doesn't really know how to process like ultra refined white flour mm. or like hydrogenated oils or like, you know, refined vegetable oils. Like it, it's, it's like putting like information into the system that doesn't know how to process. And I think that's where we really see a lot of diseases. So you've got you, you start losing and your body hormonally doesn't respond to it the way it was supposed to. So our hunger cues are screwed up. Our satiety cues, like our digestion is off. And, and so somatic awareness, like that is difficult when you don't even have the cues hormonally right. that necessarily, if you were eating real whole food, uh... you would have, that's one. We also are living in this hyper-stimulating digital world, which has a lot of wonderful benefits, but it does, I think, take us away from an inward focus on our body. Um, it's very externally focused. And I think that I love that tech is now being used, flipping the mirror back to help people get back in touch with that. But I think with TV and with video games and with a lot of this stuff, it does kind of take you out of your body. And oh, I think yeah. you just sometimes after, you know, a Netflix binge, you wake up and you're like, I haven't thought about my body or anything. And like, you just kind of yeah. feel like you woke up dream, totally. you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. when, yeah. And it, I'm really glad you said that because it, it does, it does detach you from, you know, not only are you sitting in a weird position with your neck kinked and your hips yeah. twisted um, your arm sideways watching watching TV for three hours a night. Not only is that mm-hmm. bad for your you know your sort of uh, your physiology and, and your posture, but you're right. You don't think about the fact that that you're you're actually not hungry, so you don't really want a bowl of ice cream. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I'm feeling tired. Okay, well it's it's 11:30. Of course you're feeling tired, but you're, the TV's still on, so you're not you don't have that. Uh, that that somatic experience from the inside out that like listens to your body and, and yeah. gets the signals that say like hey dum dum like it's eleven thirty you should go to bed because you're tired but you're blasting your face with blue and green light that's you know suppressing melatonin release yeah all of those different all of those different things the ability to like be embo- like embodied be embodied be in your body understand mm. your body listen to your body and to have a really effective tool that's elegant and accurate and, and real time. I mean, it's, I, th- I think it said it's, it's every 15 minutes, right? It sends a signal to update. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I, I, I cannot wait. I'm really excited to, to try mine because I, I'm really curious about what my nine o'clock glass of organic red wine does. Like, I'm really curious about what, you know, the, um, you know, 24 ounce ribeye steak does that I eat mm-hmm. three nights a week at 5:30. Uh, I'm I I'm really curious because there's some foods that I've been demonizing for a long, long time because I've been keto and paleo and carnivore and OMAD and tried all of these different things <laughs> and tinkered around. Like there's there are some foods that I've re- that I really have demonized. Um, you know, certain, certain grains and seeds and stuff that are, have high caloric, um, values that I just, just don't want. I also take a lot of supplements, right? So I, I take a lot of vitamin C, I take a lot of amino acids. I take a lot of collagen because I'm, because I'm trying to put on lean mass. I'm super curious about what 20 grams of collagen powder is going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, how my body's going to respond to that. Should I be doing it first thing in the morning or should I continue fasting? Like I've, you know, I mean, I've been intermittent fasting, eating in a window for like two and a half years. And it's because I got there 
by listening to my body and understanding like I can just skip breakfast and it feels better. I just, I just prefer that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe, you know, maybe some oatmeal with chia seeds every once in a while and a bunch of butter and some manuka honey is a good idea for me sometimes. I, I'm just, I'm just really excited. I, I'd love to, I'd love to hear like, uh, if you could share like a story of someone that, that just like their mind got blown where they're like, Oh my God, I cannot believe this one food. Like, Oh no, I can't anymore. Like, or, yes. or you personally. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, with our beta program with six months of this, I have like a hundred I want to yeah. share, but one of my favorite, I mean, oatmeal, <laughs> that one is almost universal. People are like, oh, is this it? has been effing me up. Uh, my whole life. Yeah. So, yeah. but, but I think the most specific example, um, that I love is one of our really early customers, Allison Crook. Um, she's a, a, a keto girl on Instagram and she, um, she's been keto for like three years and she lost like a ton of weight. And now she's like super fit in this incredible, inspiring Instagram account. And she lifts a lot and she's, yeah, she's been following strict keto. Um, and it was hugely beneficial to her life. So she comes to us kind of, you know, curious to see what CGM will tell her about, you know, her glucose. And, and she, she used it as a tool to essentially experiment with some foods that she's been eliminating for the past three years and see what happens and was totally expecting like them to spike her and, you know, but kind of just to prove like how the keto diet, you know, is very effective at keeping glucose low. But what she found was that some of these foods that were off limits for keto actually did nothing to her glucose and did not bump her out of ketogenesis. So she had literally been going to restaurants for three years, ordering salads and picking every single carrot out of the salad and putting it on the side and not eating it. She found out that carrots when mixed with like a big salad did absolutely did not touch her glucose. And it was like a very, it was like emotional for her because she, you know, um, was able to liberalize her diet. She found freedom and flexibility yeah. in a keto diet with a tool that you could imagine would actually restrict you. But it actually, it actually has for so many people liberated, especially for people who learn, you know, this food's not good for me, but 30 minute walk after dinner completely blunts my spike. Like that's liberalizing. Mm, totally. So so she is just amazing. And, um, well, and, 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 and I'm sorry to interrupt, but she probably, you know, maybe two or three years ago when she was a lot heavier and, and had metabolic inflexibility, yeah. maybe carrots would have messed with her. Maybe that wasn't so good for her because because they're high in, you know, natural sugar or whatever. But, but now, now that she's gotten back to a better place where she's more metabolically flexible and not so sensitive, like then, then yeah, have the carrots on the salad. It's a nice, it's a nice addition. Sorry. Keep going. No. And that, that's exactly what she did. And so she was able to do that for a bunch of foods and, and yeah, I mean, it's a dynamic system. So I think very likely if she'd done this three years ago or six months ago, things might've been different. Things are different day to day. So tracking is really great. And you can imagine like she's been tracking ketones and even that is much more of an open loop system than glucose track, continuous glucose tracking, because you know, you, you're not going to see necessarily a ketone change 30 minutes after eating a meal. It's going to probably be more like hours to like the next morning that you'll see a, a big change. And, um, you know, maybe you go from 1.5 to 1.3, but it's very hard, I think, to still know with checking ketones, what was the exact food that was the problem or not the problem. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think ketone checking and continuous glucose monitoring together is like super powerful. And I check my ketones frequently yeah. and do you oh do, yeah. Do you do blood or urine? I do blood. I yeah. use keto mojo. Yeah. Um, but 
for me, so I'm vegan and I'm whole foods plant-based and, um, not in like a super dogmatic way, but like, I just, uh, going back to nutrigenomics, like I am obsessed with how food compounds affect genes. And like, for me, like plant compounds and the way they interact with like epigenetics and transcription factors and stuff like absolutely blows my mind. And Mm -hmm. so I'm just like, it's an intellectual fun experience for me to like hack my diet to think of like how I'm changing gene expression day to day. Like, oh, I'm eating curcumin from turmeric. I'm downregulating NF-kappa B. Like, oh, I'm eating sulforaphane. I'm upregulating NRF2, et cetera. So like it's, so I'm not like super dogmatic about it, but I am plant-based and a lot of people are like, well, that's going to be a problem for your metabolic health. And what's been fun for me as a vegan is to, over the last year, totally transform my diet to essentially a high carb, also high fat vegan diet that my glucose never basically goes up. Hmm. So like my triglycerides are like 47. Um, my average, my average 24 hour glucose is in the seventies, not my fasting. My fasting is like low seventies. My average is like mid seventies, sometimes low eighties, but these are like very, very low numbers. Can you clarify those ranges for me really quick? Cause I think for a lot of people that's sort of out of context, like glucose levels. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two sort of levels that we can talk about. So there's like Uh, ADA criteria, American Diabetic Association criteria, which is like the diagnostic thresholds for metabolic dysfunction or normal. So those thresholds are if you have a fasting glucose, meaning your glucose level in the blood first thing in the morning after fasting for eight hours, no calories. uh, If it's under 100, you're normal. If it's between 1 and 125, you're prediabetic. And if it's 126 or above, you're diabetic. So that's one way of diagnosing um, diabetes or prediabetes. There's a couple other ways of diagnosing it too, but that's fasting blood glucose. Um, what we actually, so if you look at, that doesn't tell us a lot about like what's best. This is sort of like this threshold based diagnosis that doesn't actually tell you like in the normal range, whether you're doing great or not doing great, Mm. how far along that spectrum towards prediabetes are you? And we know that a third of the country is like in that prediabetic range, probably a lot more are in the high end of normal moving into that. So, so it doesn't tell you a lot about that. So when you actually look at healthy people wearing continuous glucose monitors, which there's six or seven studies who have, that have done that, what you see is that for people wearing a continuous glucose monitor for either a few days or weeks, their glucose will be between 70 and 120 for about 91% of the day. So like the vast majority of the day, we are between 70 and 120. Um, that's before or after meals. Um, some other studies have a little bit more liberal range. So like um, some studies will show, and often these involve older populations, like a young, young, healthy population, 70 to 120 for 91% of the day. Some bigger population studies show that 70 between 70 and 140, about 90% of the day. So that's kind of the range that, um, that non-diabetics uh, will be in, but that still doesn't tell us what is the optimal range to right. be in. Like, what should you shoot for if you're trying to be superhuman and like have be part of that 12% that's metabolically healthy? And that is something that we as a company are really trying to define. Mm. And, um, you know, even now in our early stages of our company, we are pretty confident that we have the first or second largest data set of non-diabetic um, blood glucose values paired with food of anywhere in the world. And cause we've just, you know, lots of people wearing CGMs for a month. It's a lot of data points, it's mil- yeah. millions, if not more. Yeah. Um, of data points. So, um, what we, um, 
so a lot of my work with the company as a chief medical officer has been really like scouring every research paper on PubMed about trying to find insights into what we should be shooting for. And I will say that even though normal fasting glucose is considered to be under 100 by standard criteria, the research that I can find best uh, suggests that actually shooting for between 72 and 85 is going to be much better for your health. Oh. And there's there's some really interesting studies. So like New England Journal of Medicine, major medical journal, looked at a bunch of young, healthy men and followed them over time. And they basically took normal people and separated them into quartiles. So if you're like between 70 and 78, 78 and 85, 85 and 92, 92 to 100, what are your risk of long-term health outcomes? Mm. And it was just a linear increase between, um, I think this was a study on, it was either cardiovascular mortality or stroke, um, and development of, oh, sorry, this paper was development of type 2 diabetes. And basically what they showed was like, as you go up in fasting glucose, you have a significantly higher chance of developing type 2 diabetes. So why would we be shooting for uh, 92 to 100 for a fasting glucose if that has an odds ratio of four yeah. for becoming diabetic? Why right. wouldn't you shoot for 70 to 78, like yeah. which has a, essentially no increased risk? Then there's other studies that show for heart disease and stroke outcomes that even in a non-diabetic range, these curves starts to become exponential for increased risk far before 100 of fasting glucose. Oh. So looking at a lot of these studies together, yeah. my sense is that if you, don't, if you want to avoid all this stuff, shoot for much lower in the healthy range. Mm. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot there. And actually I wrote a very large blog post on this that was, you know, months of work of research that I would highly recommend. It's, it's called, um, uh, like the ultimate guide to normal and optimal blood glucose levels. I'll, I'll link, I can send you the link to that. And, um, but yeah, we'll um, put that in the show notes. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then we suggest some ranges for like how, what you should limit yourself to in terms of a post meal spike. And from my perspective, no one really should ever be going over 120 after a meal, um, and you don't really want to go more than 30 points above your baseline from a meal. Cause as you spike really high, you're activating that insulin, you're activating inflammation, you're activating oxidative stress, you're activating glycation processes, which is where glucose sticks to proteins and fats in the body and causes problems. You don't want that. So, yeah. um, anyways, long, long answer to your question. No, it's, I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's perfect because I think, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people listening are going like, yeah, we, that's great. Thank you for that clarification. I knew that. And other people are going, Oh my gosh, I thank you. That, that it's out of context. Um, so far so good for the company, right? I mean, levels is, is, has, I tell me about the wait list. <laughs> I, I hear, how many? 25,000 people on our wait list. Oh my God. It's gone up by 5,000 in the last like two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Oh, people are itching for it. Yeah. It's exciting. I mean, it's, and it's all pretty much organic traction. Like we oh, haven't man. really done really any paid marketing. Um, so it's, it's, this is exciting to me yeah. because our North star is to reverse metabolic dysfunction and people care. <laughs> so we're like, this is good. Yeah. Uh, but but it's been really great. We've had some really awesome supporters and early evangelists who have been taken to the, you know, Twitter and showing their results. And I think the social nature of this also, you know, from a behavior change standpoint, because I know you care about that. The fact that this data is fun to look at and it's mm. exciting and it's like self-hacking, people love sharing it. And so that's, I think, very motivating too, from a behavior change standpoint. So we've been seeing a lot of excitement from that standpoint, it's from the 
It's yeah. so exciting. I think it's so cool. I mean, um, I mean, and we started off, you know, really talking about the, the, the real impact that this could have. I mean, like this, this, this could, this could be a preventative measure, some preventative early corrections for people's lifestyle and diet that, uh, that, that changes everything that makes, that makes their life like so much better. And that, that, that's something that I get excited for. And if it's just a matter of like putting something on your arm and then putting the stuff you're eating into an app and then learning about what it does to you, uh, that, that, that's killer. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited. Um, before, uh, before, well, before I ask the last question, uh, so it's just so people know, so I'm going to, I'm going to get one. I'm waiting. Um, Nana, Nana, boo, boo. You're going to have to get in line at, uh, 25,000, 26,000 for wait list. Uh, I'm going to get mine and, and I'll be talking about it. I'll be posting about it. Uh, and then, and then we'll have your co-founder on, um, to talk, to talk a lot more about the tech and, and so forth down the road. Um, but where can people learn more? Where can they find up? Where can they get on the wait list? Like, yeah. where, where, please, please give me your vitals before I ask the last question. Awesome. So you can find us at www.levelshealth.com. You can read like so much more about what we've talked about today at www.levelshealth.com slash blog. Um, and, and that has been really fun for us to create. We're trying to spread, you know, new information from the research and, and giving this research to people in a way that's really digestible so they can understand these things better. And so, yeah, check that out. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at unlock levels. So that's the company. So, um, so check it out and you can start to see some experiments that people are doing. And then for me personally, um, I, I have my Instagram and Twitter is, uh, Dr. Casey's kitchen. And, um, I post a lot about, uh, plant-based nutrition and metabolic health. So, um, yeah, trying to kind of, um, really talk about that, uh, a high carb diet is not necessarily a high glucose diet in the body and, um, ways to think about shaping a diet so that your healthy diet, you know, isn't damaging you through, mm. you know, just through not knowing. And so that's, that's kind of what I try and share. And, um, yeah. Awesome. So check out. Awesome. Check them out. So, um, this last question is a fill in the blank question. Uh, so hopefully again, catches you off guard again. I like to catch people off guard in the, in the, in the very beginning and then I like to catch them off guard again at the very end. Um, uh, and this can be based on life philosophy, everything that, you know, I mean, it can be specific to metabolic health. You know, this is really meant to be a, a sort of big idea, but please fill in the blank and then, uh, elaborate as much as you wish. Everyone would benefit from knowing Mm. This is a great question. <laughs> Everyone would benefit from knowing that <laughs> I'm going to go super weird on this question. Cool. So, I mean, I think I've said enough about metabolic health. Like, everyone would benefit from knowing that metabolic health is, you know, something we should work on. Yeah. Uh, but that, you know, fundamentally we are you know we are these incredible complex atomic machines existing in this incredible world and um we are in constant every second we are in constant conversation with the outside world and the environment um 
and, you know, exchanging material energy with the world through what we eat, um, what we put into our bodies, what we put on our bodies. And, um, even like what we choose to look at, like the light we choose to look at, the people we choose to talk to, all of this environmental input gets transformed into literal signals in our body through, you know, hormones, hormones, nervous system, et cetera. And so, you know, I, I think it's just important to remember that we are just these energetic beings in this bigger atomic energetic hive constantly in conversation. And why that is important to me is because it, it just makes me feel like we, you know, we have so much autonomy and agency to kind of change our environment, change the conditions that we expose ourselves to what we put in on our body. And that is the difference between health and disease. And so I don't know, it's just, it's, it's very, it's very cool to me to look at the body as this Mm. just like beautiful, complex, you know, machine and, um, and just think about all the levers that we can pull through our choices to express the absolute best version of ourselves. And, you know, there are a lot of forces at play that are not helping us in that regard. The food industry, processed food, media, um, you know, like even recommendations we might be getting from on high of what to eat. And so, you know, it's really about coming back to the basics, understanding our bodies, focusing on the core fundamentals, um, relationships, sleep, stress, exercise, movement, um, our relationship with the earth and, um, yeah. And just creating conditions that let our bodies express their highest, their highest form. Mm. So I did all over the place, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say. I love it. You went, you went big. I love that. You, you went, you went big. I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. We should, we should be, we should be look at ourselves and wonder. We, it's okay to be, we, it's okay to be excited for this human experience. Yeah. Dr. Casey Means, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. It was so great to chat with you, Sean, and I'm I'm just, you know, so excited to have had this conversation. Thank you. And see. That was great.